be one more, but we also enjoy coming and worshiping and spending time with you. Uh, to those of us in Stillwater, Oklahoma, if you don't know, I'm an elder at the church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we feel like that over the years, uh, the church here in Amarillo has stolen uh, some of our members, and we've, we've given the elders here a lot of grief about that. But in reality, if you have to lose kids and it's inevitable that they go on, uh, we couldn't think of a better place for them to end up. This is a wonderful place. It's a wonderful congregation for kids to be a part of, and uh, we enjoy that, or we enjoy that they are here. Got a little too much technology going on here with the thing and my readers and all that, so hopefully they don't get tangled up and, and too big of a mess this morning. I'd like to visit with you a little bit this morning about character. You know, we use this word character in more than one way. I'm at home on Wednesday evenings. Uh, we do character studies right now. And when we use the word like that, it simply means uh, a person in a story, uh, and we discuss that person in their lives, and that's how we use it. Sometimes you hear it said that he or she is quite the character. And in, in that term, it usually means, or in that way, it usually means more than just a person in a story. It means that they have a very unique personality or they're a very unique individual or something like that uh, when we say they're, they're quite the character. But this morning, what I want to talk about is uh, a study about character. Uh, character is defined by Webster in this way, the complex of mental and ethical traits marking and often individualizing a person, or the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual, or someone's personality, their nature, uh, their disposition, their makeup. And I think we all understand what that means. It's just all the things about us that make us who we are. Dear Abby, Abigail Van Buren, for those of you who may be familiar with her, um, I don't know if she's in the paper anymore, I don't get the paper anymore, but it says, she once said, the best index to a person's character is how he treats people who can't do him any good and how he treats people who can't fight back. And I think that's pretty interesting if we think about it in those terms, the way we treat people who might have power over us or people who might be in a position to do us some good, as opposed to the way we treat people who can't fight back and who can't do anything for us. What does the Bible say about character? Well, you know, the word character itself, in the version of the Bible that Paul carried, the New King James Version, that word character is used zero times. And for the record, I don't really believe that Paul carried the King James Version. So, But that word in the King James Version is found zero times. It's found a couple of times in the New King James Version, and I believe it's found three times in the ESV. One of those times that this word is found in the ESV is after the story that the adulterous woman was brought to Jesus. And then he began to speak to the Jews that were there, and he encouraged them to believe on him. And he told them that the truth would make them free. And then their response was, but, you know, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. What do you mean the truth will make us free? 
Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are of the father of the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is, new, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus said to the disciples, this is who Satan is. He's a liar. That's his character. That's his makeup. In Mark, when uh, Jesus was asked why his disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate, he said in Mark 7 and verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, I understand the word character isn't used in this, in this passage here, but if you'll remember our definitions, Jesus is basically saying a person speaks and acts like he is on the inside. The way his mind works, whatever is in his heart is how a person will speak and a person will act. Interestingly enough, one of the other places that this word character is used is over in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verse number 17, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's interesting to me that the first place we found this word character used, it described the devil, it described Satan as a liar. And it says that's his character. He can't help but lie. And then it contrasts that with the character of God in that God cannot lie. God can only tell the truth. We see the difference in the two characters of those beings. In Job 1, in verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job here is described as a pretty good fellow. And in verse number 8 of that chapter, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, it just seems to me that in these passages, we are hearing a description of Job's character. He's a blameless and upright person. And I know that the, uh, the passage headings in your Bible are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but in my Bible, the heading on verses 6 through 12 in Job number 1, is this. Satan attacks Job's character. In verses 9 through 11, it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. I think the implication here by Satan is that Job is not who God claims he is. Satan's claim is that 
Job has always protect, or God has always protected Job, and that if you remove this hedge of protection that you have placed around Job, that Job will show his true colors. That's what Satan says. He says, if you'll take away your protection, his true colors will be displayed. You will see that he is not blameless and upright. Well, if you read through the book of Job, you know that Job's true character was that he was a blameless and upright person. That's why God described him that way. This morning, my character is who I am. Your character is who you are. It's absolutely who we are. And it's important that our character be Christ-like. So why is it important for us to think about what our character is? Well, I would submit to you this morning that my character will dictate all of my reactions and all of my decisions about things. Think a minute about Stephen. You know, when the apostles were instructed, or they, when they instructed the disciples to choose from among them seven men uh, for the purpose of serving widows, it says in Acts 6 and verse number 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. This is who Stephen was. This is how Stephen was described. This was Stephen's character. And we know from reading there that Stephen began to do great wonders, and he began to do great signs among the people. So when Stephen was captured and he was brought before the council, and he was accused falsely of blasphemy, what did Stephen do? In that pressure-packed moment when he was there being accused of something that he didn't do, what did Stephen do? Stephen looked him in the eyes and he told the truth. That's what he did. Acts 7 and verse number 51, he said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Why was Stephen called a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit? Because that's who he was. And when he was falsely accused, he didn't back down. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try to get himself out of the situation. Peter looked him, or Stephen looked him in the eyes and he told it like it was. When I think about that, I think about Peter as he was sitting in the courtyard and they came to him and said, Hey, you were with Jesus. And Peter began to deny that he knew him and finally to curse and to swear that he knew Jesus and that he was with him. Now, I don't want to suggest to you this morning that I think that was Peter's character because all of us make mistakes. And I think Peter made a mistake there. But I would like to take my chances in the day of judgment with Peter's resume. So I don't want you to think this morning that I think Peter had a bad character. What about Uriah. Do you remember after David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and found that she was pregnant and he was trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do about this situation that I've got myself in? So he asked that Uriah come home. He thought if he could get Uriah back from the battlefield and spend a few nights at home, then it would all be covered up. He would think, everyone would think that the baby was Uriah's. 
what did, what did Uriah do? Well, he refused to go home and sleep in comfort with his wife because as Uriah the soldier, that was not his character. Uriah said, if my men are going to be outside sleeping on the battlefield, then I'm going to sleep outside. I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to go home and be comfortable. That's who Uriah was. I heard it said one time, or I read somewhere, that if you want to judge someone's character, surprise them. A decision that I have to make in a split second or under uh, duress will really show my character. I remember uh, one time when Carson was little and he was uh, taking uh, pitching lessons from this guy and this guy said, okay, he said, you know, I don't want to go through a bunch of fancy stuff. He said, I'm just going to throw you a ball, and I want you to throw it back to me as fast as you can. I want you to see how fast you can get it back to me. And he did that three or four times. And he said, what I'm trying to find out is how do you naturally throw a ball? Because some people throw here and some people throw here, all different places. And if you think about what someone wants you to do, you'll try to do that. But if you try to do it quickly, you're just going to do whatever's natural to you. That's how we react in times of stress, in times of quick decisions. We react according to our character. What happens when you're in the, the drive through lane at McDonald's on your way to work is I am almost every morning, and there are multiple cars behind you and in front of you, and you're already five minutes late for work, which I'm not, but some people are, those people who are behind me, probably. You're late for work, there are cars behind you, and the person gives you the wrong change. What do you do? You don't have time, and you know, I just, I got to go, I don't have time to mess with this, or you just take the time to make it right because that's what you do, and that's a little thing. But if we react to the little things the right way, maybe we'll react to all the things the right way. A pretty famous a basketball coach one time said, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. So what do you do when you're surprised doing something that you didn't want to be caught doing? Or what do you, what do, you do when someone comes up and said, hey, did you, did you say such and such about me? And you did, but it wasn't supposed to get back to them, right? We've all done that. What do you do when that person says, did you say that? Do we try to create some little white lie to cover that up, or do we do what Stephen did? We look him in the eye and we tell the truth. Well, that was a stupid thing I did, but I did it. What does our character do for us? What about when you sit down to do your taxes? If you do your taxes yourself, maybe you send your stuff off to someone else to do them. But what do you do when you sit down to do them or the, the information that you give to the, to the preparer, if that's how you do it. No one's watching, right? I mean, the IRS isn't going to know about those cash deals if you don't tell them. So that's what you do when no one is looking. How do we handle those kinds of things? What does our character have us do? My character is important because my character will dictate my actions, my character will dictate the way I live. And the way I live and my actions that people see will in turn dictate my reputation. The way people see me live is what my reputation is. And then ultimately, the reputation that I have will dictate the amount of influence that I'm able to have on someone. 
I understand that you guys have just finished uh, studying about the qualification of elders and deacons, and one of the qualifications of an elder is that he have a good report of those that are outside the church. And I think people might find it easy to act a certain way when surrounded by Christian men and women in the comfort and the confines of this church building, but what do people outside in the business world have to say about you? What do your neighbors have to say about you? What do the people in the McDonald's line have to say about you? What does everybody else have to say about you? So my character determines my actions, which determines my reputation, which determines the amount of influence that I might want to have on someone. And if you don't care to influence someone in a positive way, if you don't care to influence someone for Christ, then this won't matter. But if you have aspirations of influencing people, evangelizing people, then your reputation will be very important. You know, after Saul was converted on the road to Damascus, the Bible tells us in Acts 9 what he did after he reached Damascus. It says in verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who were called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? You know, Saul's reputation preceded him, as they say. Here's a man who's been persecuting at the church, and now he's standing up before the assembly proclaiming the name of Jesus. And these people are confused because Saul had a reputation. Saul's character determined his actions, which determined his reputation, which now may be impacting the amount of influence that he's able to have on someone. So the Jews in Damascus plotted to kill him, and Saul, along with the other disciples, escaped to Jerusalem. And notice the reaction of those in Jerusalem as they came on the scene. In verse number 26, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. His reputation had preceded him to Jerusalem also. All of us might be able to fake our character in the short term, but ultimately it will find us out. You know, a few months ago, I think now, I don't think it's years, I think it's months, there was a fake story about uh, a homeless guy who helped a lady that ran out of gas. I don't know if you remember the story or not, uh, but this lady said that she ran out of gas and it was not in a good part of town. And this homeless man approached her car and told her to stay in the car, keep your doors locked, keep your windows rolled up. And he walked to a gas station and with the last $20 that he had, he bought this lady some gas and brought it back and filled up her car. And then this lady put the story out on social media, and I think they created a GoFundMe page and raised over $400,000 for this poor homeless guy who took his last $20 to help this lady out in a time of need. And that's such a good story till you find out that it was fake, till you find out that this lady and her husband in cahoots with this homeless man had conspired to do this whole thing. And it only fell apart when the, when the lady and her husband didn't share 
in the $400,000 with the poor homeless guy like they had agreed to do. And then he ratted them out. It was such a good story, but it just wasn't true. For a while, they had people faked into believing that it was true to the tune of over $400,000 in donations, but ultimately, they were found out. We may be able to fake it for a while, but we can't fake it forever. So what do I do if I realize that my character is not what it ought to be? That I'm not really the person that I need to be? You know, I think it'd be interesting if all of us could get a piece of paper that other people wrote down, here are three things that I believe are true about you. You are this, this, and this. I'd like to read those things that people think I am and then think about, really think about, am I that? Or do they just think I'm that? Sometimes we just aren't what people think we are. You know, there was a young man at church who attended church with us for a while and, and eventually he went away and he was a young man who always needed money and he always needed this and he, he needed that and he needed something else. And when you observed his life, you just thought, he's just not being a good steward of all the help that he's getting. And ultimately, he, he went away and he left the church. And some months after that, there was an announcement that he was somewhere and he needed money for a bus ticket to get somewhere else. And I, I thought, oh man, here we go again. You know, just an endless money pit. And one of the young men in our church got up at the end of the service, and he talked about how, how rough it must be to be a man and to not have any family influence. And by the time he was through talking, I felt like such a heel. I thought, man, I'm so cynical, and this young man is so compassionate. I need to be compassionate and not cynical. I think they're all we all have things about our lives that we could change. Well, fortunately, the Bible has the secret recipe for doing this, just that. The Bible has the secret recipe for you and I to change our, our character. Colossians 3 and verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verses 8 and 9 says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And in verses 12 through 14, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's the secret recipe. Not necessarily easy, not necessarily something that you can do overnight, but put off those things that you don't like about yourself and put on all these things that Paul urges the Colossians to do. Right now there's a, um, I think there's a commercial, it's a Geico commercial, I think, with the lizard. And he's in the copy room making copies of all these flyers that's gonna be their advertising slogan. And the guy comes in and he says, hey, what are we going to do? Are we gonna do this or that? And he says, well, we're doing this. And he goes, no, we changed our mind, we're gonna do that. 
pump the brakes on this and swap over to that. That's what he tells us. There are things that you don't like about yourself that you know aren't good and things that you need, then pump the brakes on these and swap over to this. That's, they stole the, Geico stole that from Colossians right here when he says, stop this, start this. That's what they need to do. Romans 13 Verses 12 and 14 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. There's the answer. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to lose weight before, go on a diet, and haven't you always wished that there was just this pill that you could, and, and there is, I'm sure, but we, what we want is to take one pill, and then the next morning wake up, and we're like this, and maybe it's not even weight, maybe it's growing hair, or maybe it's whatever the case may be. We want that easy fix. We want to be able to wiggle our nose, or, you know, cross our arms, and blink, and just have it happen, but when it comes to weight loss, at the end of the day, it seems like no matter what, it's always about diet and exercise, always about those things. And the same is true for you and I if we need to change our character from bad to good. It's about diet and exercise. The rich young ruler, when he came to Christ, ended up going away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. He couldn't exercise and get, get rid of that mindset. He couldn't make that change. For us today, I think the secret is to consume the Word of God and practice it. That's our diet and our exercise. For your diet, consume the Word of God. For your exercise, practice it. Put off and put on. Philippians 4 verses 8 through 9 says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What we have heard, what we have consumed, practice, diet and exercise, is the way that we change our character. Know it and do it. If you're here this morning and you've never put on Jesus Christ through baptism, if you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He was buried, that He arose the third day, and that you can partake in that death, burial, and resurrection by being baptized if you've never done that and you would like to do that this morning, then we'd be happy to help you with that. Or if you're here this morning and you feel like that you need to make some sort of change and you've tried and maybe you can, you want the prayers of this congregation to help you do that, then we ask you also to come while we stand and sing the song that was selected. <laughs>